What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast, Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington. That's Barry Horn. We're not letting him talk. And then on the phone with us today from Queens, New York, the inimitable Evan Grant. King of Queens. The King of Queens. That's correct. Uh, yeah, I'm so much the King of Queens that I'm not real sure if right now I'm in Astoria, Elmhurst, or Jackson Heights, but I just know I'm across the street from LaGuardia. Aren't, aren't, so I am living the life. Yeah. Uh, are you living the Queen's Dream? Aren't you in Fresh Meadows? No, you're not in Fresh Meadows. Never mind. I'm not even. I've never even seen Fresh Meadows. I think that's the name of a bakery in a restaurant. Do you know who's? Do you know who's from Fresh Meadows? Which Ranger executive? John Daniels is from. Correct. I'm not in Fresh Meadows. We, he and I talked about where I was at last night, and I'm not in his neighborhood. So. No. Well, you're, you're right when you say you're not in his neighborhood. That's for I sure. am definitely not in his neighborhood. Speaking of his neighborhood, speaking of John Daniels' neighborhood, what is the story of this team? Are is it still operating under the uh, delusion that hey, we're still competing for a wild card here, or has has it taken root with that group, that clubhouse, that it's over for this season? I think in the clubhouse, it's never going to really take root until uh, September 1 when they start bringing up other guys and maybe getting, not that they've got a whole bunch of guys to bring up, but they, they start bringing up a few guys and maybe getting them into the lineup. But uh, I think that, you know, you see Drew Robinson playing a little bit more and that's something of a experiment. You see... Robinson Trino's back behind the plate, and that's clearly a move towards 2018 because he is going to be the, the starting catcher for 2018. You see some Joey Gallo in left field, and that certainly um, would be among the possibilities for 2018. Um, I think the next big thing, and I, I kind of wrote about this this morning, I think the next big shoe to fall is they've got to start taking a look at Keone Kella as a potential closer because... As we all know, the bullpen was the the detonation of the implosion of this team, and they have no closer for next year. Alex Claudio has done a great job in a fill-in role, but I don't think anybody envisions Alex Claudio as this team's desired closer. I think they view him more as a, a significant piece in the bullpen. But, you know, if you put Claudio out there with that sidearm motion in kind of an eighth-inning role, and then all of a sudden guys got to come in and face 98 in the ninth. That's a different story. So I think that's the next thing I look for in the experimentation portion of the season. 
I'm not sure if the Rangers wait until they're more than five games out in a wild card before they move to that to that realm, but it's coming. Let's put it that way. Do you th- do you think Claudio? I mean, I, I'm sorry. Do you think Kella has the uh, the mental capacity to be a closer? Are you saying he's crazy? I'm asking Evan a question. <laughs> um, I I don't. I, I certainly, I don't, uh, honestly, Barry, I don't know what you're referring to there. I do think that... Does he have, does he have the makeup? Does he have the makeup to be a closer? I, we, we know he has a physical Absolutely. I think, I think closers have to, have to have something of an edge, and I think Keone certainly got that. I, I think the biggest issue right now with Keone is, is a physical issue more than, more than anything else, and... He probably would have gotten an opportunity to close uh, at the start of July, but was on the DL with that shoulder injury. And I think the Rangers have uh, have been very um, cautious in how they've used him since he's come back from that. But the bottom line here is Keone Kella has the lowest opponent's batting average uh, of any qualified reliever in the big leagues. He's on another scoreless streak of, I think it's 12 and two-thirds innings. He's pitched very well. He's restored any... Any um, strained faith that the uh, that the organization or his teammates might have had in him, and he's a guy. You know, we talked about um, the idea of, of of raising your own. This is rarely do you kind of groom a guy through the minor league system as a closer, but that's who Keone was, and so I think the time is coming. Uh, for the Rangers to say, okay, we've got to run him out there and see if he can do the job. Okay, two things about since we started off with the bullpen here. One, Alex Claudio, I think it's a mistake we start or that the Rangers start saying, if they are, you know, okay, he's going to be our eighth inning guy. To me, that what he has demonstrated this year is that he's a guy can, who, who can do a number of things and you allow him to do that. You, you give him that latitude. Uh, oh, I don't think, I, uh, Kevin, I don't think that um, – I don't think they would be saying he's our eighth inning guy. I do think what Claudio does give you is is some latitude, but I think that he's best he's best suited as a guy that look if you've got three guys coming up who are left handed and that's the sixth inning, then you pitch him there. And if you need to get a second inning out of him, he's certainly capable of doing that. Right. But he's a guy that they can deploy when they face a left handed heavy set of hitters, whether it's early or late. And now you're hoping in 2018 that you've got two lefties in your bullpen, Claudio and Beekman. And so it gives you even more latitude on how you want to use those two guys. But I, I, I think that with Claudio, yes, he's a guy that has more versatility because he's able to go longer stints than other, than other guys. And so it, it does give you more flexibility on when you want to use them. All right, my, my second point about Kella as, the, uh, as a closer. I, I think that's, that's possible that that could work. No, I think it's certainly long term it's possible it could work. In in the short term, and in, in the uh, in the in the little bit of research that I did earlier this year on the, on closers around baseball, very few of the guys who have been really successful, uh, unless they just had outstanding stuff, and 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 Keller stuff is very good, uh, were successful as closers before the age of twenty five. Now Keone is how old now? Twenty three. 24. He's 24. 24? Okay. So he's very... And he will be, he'll be 25 uh, next April. Okay. So he's very close to that, you know, if you want to call that a barometer. You know, right. he's, he's certainly very close to that. But 
it, it's interesting to me if you, if the Rangers really think that they could possibly do a, a quick retooling, a, quick, a reloading of this thing over the winter and come back and compete next year, then I think it's incumbent upon them to go out and find themselves a closer, at least for the short term, uh, and then let Keone be the eighth inning guy for another year. If they don't think they're going to do that, then go ahead and run him out there as a closer and let him get the experience and, and, just take, and take the growing pains you're going to get with that. I think you, you make some, some valid points there. I do think that there's a couple things in Keone's favor that work, that work for him. One is that he, uh, you know, I think when you mentioned the 25-year-old thing, I think by and large if you looked at that, that would indicate that most of those guys um, had had a couple years in the big league and had had uh, some kind of apprenticeship. And I think that, Keone will have had that. He'll essentially have had three years of that. Um, and so I think he is going to be more positioned at the age of 25 to go into that. I'm, I'm trying to look through a free agent list here to see what would be available on a free agent market in terms of closures because I haven't done a ton of research on that for two reasons. One, I don't think that the Rangers' general philosophy has ever been to invest real heavily in a closer. Right. Uh, on the free agent market. And two, I think if this team plans to retool for next year, you've got to look at what your available resources are and what your um, what your holes are. And every dollar and asset that they have has got to be invested into uh, re, uh, reinforcing the starting rotation. So they, they did spend on Joe Nathan, although that was at the end of Joe Nathan's a career and uh, and I, I I don't remember the contract that he got from the Rangers. Uh, well, on Joe Nathan, it was it was two years and I believe fourteen million dollars. Um, and he was it was coming off two thousand eleven when they were going to make the brilliant move of moving Neftali Feliz to the starting rotation, and they needed a veteran closer to continue what they thought was going to be a dynastic run. Um, and so that was the situation in which they invested in Nathan. And it was a below-market contract at that point because Nathan had been coming back from an injury. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't work out so great. Uh, Not I, Joe did. I mean, Joe did a fine job. You well, know, well, it, he did that, just, that first um, year he was okay. Uh, there was a little smoke and mirrors uh, that first year with, with Joe. Uh, so... I mean, I, I get the situation uh, and, and not wanting to invest too much in that. But I do believe now, if you, if you look around baseball, look at the teams that are really competing, uh, uh, you, you see really strong bullpens. You, you really, you know, and, and I don't know how much of that is, uh, how much money that, uh, you know, what proportion of their budget they've spent on their bullpens. You know, that would be an interesting thing to look at to see how, how teams distribute that uh, and, and what they come up with. But uh, I think the Rangers have, have uh, you know, that's been John Daniels' M.O. for several years now. Is I, I'm going to try to, to, to uh, take a, a low-risk gamble here and see how that turns out. And he's done pretty well on a lot of those. You know, this year, not just in the bullpen, obviously, but Andrew Kashner was a, a perfect example of that. I think we said before the season, if, if either Kashner or, or Tyson Ross ended up being a dependable starter, then, then that that was a good gamble on both. If you got one out of the two, and it looks like that's what right. you got. Right. In Cashner, any any chance he'd be back next year? 
Yeah, I think there's a decent chance he'll be back, but I also think that he has positioned himself well enough to, to look at the market and and see if there is a multi-year deal out there for him. And if there is, it, it's probably going to behoove him to take that kind of security. Um, I think he'd like to be back with the Rangers. I think he'd like to be back in Texas. I think it's been a good place for him. Uh, Might be happy to be back in Houston where it's a little closer to Conroe and a little better team. Well, that's exactly what I was going there. I mean, there's nothing to say that the Astros won't look at him as a potential piece to round out their bullpen next year. And if if they're feeling like... Rotation. Yeah, I mean, their their rotation, I'm sorry. Um, And so I think that there's complications there. It's it's not a slam dunk that you can get Andrew Cashner to come back here on a one- or two-year deal at at very club-friendly terms because he has pitched well. He has demonstrated some value, and he may be um, he, he may be very marketable on the, on the free agent uh, market this year. So what do you feel like uh, – we'll just stick with pitching here. What do you feel like, uh, if you had to guess right now, what would the rotation be on day one, opening day next year? If I had to guess most optimistically – uh, I think that the most optimistic you could suggest would be that their rotation would be uh, Cole Hamels, Shohei Otani, Andrew Kashner, Martin Perez, and A.J. Griffin. Boy, that is optimistic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's very optimistic. I mean, it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's really optimistic on this. I mean, I don't think that we just went through the Kashner scenario, and I don't think that a terribly um, unrealistic situation to to envision. Uh, The Otani thing, I think the Rangers are positioning themselves as well as they possibly can to go out there and get Otani. I think that's one of the reasons they were willing to not dive more into Darvish. Uh, And I think that, Kevin, as, as you addressed, I think, last week after the trade, you know, the Everybody loved you, Darvish, when he was here, and, and, and the Rangers signed him as a 25-year-old, but they weren't going to invest big, big dollars in a 31-year-old starting pitcher. Well, Otani's going to be 23 uh, this winter, and uh, that's the kind of investment the Rangers are willing to make, and I think that I think ownership is, 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 is willing to once again... I think ownership feels like they got their money out of you, Darvish. They didn't get the championship, but I think they feel like they got their money's worth out of you, Darvish, and I think that Otani because of the change in the posting system and the bonus system that he will fall under, I think Otani may cost you, at least on the surface, uh, less money than Darvish did. Wasn't there a point, though, that, that we were saying that Darvish was a carrot to attract Otani? I think, I think that there were two ways that you could look at that, and I think that, that certainly at the time that the Rangers went to Japan and saw Otani, I think it behooved them uh, to at least indicate that the possibility of both guys in the rotation was attractive. I think the if you look at the history, by and large, the Japanese pitchers that have come have, have been sprinkled one to a team. Uh, I think that they, uh, they don't want to compete with their own teammates uh, in, in the same rotation. Um, their own countrymen in, in the same rotation. And, and I think that while Otani does really uh, have a, a strong relationship with Darvish, I don't get the impression that it would have to be 
a thing where he would be on the, in the same in, in the same roster with you, Darvish. I think that uh, I think that he'll be he'll be comfortable going where the best offer is and where he feels most at ease. Who who would be the Rangers' uh, competition for Otani? Well, that's that's a very interesting question, Barry, because based on the on the bonus rules that now apply. Um, teams have to use their international bonus pool money as the enticement. And teams that you would think that would be major players in this, particularly the Dodgers and the Cubs, they're under penalties this year where they can't spend more than $300,000 in bonus money on any individual players. Uh, the Rangers are sitting there now. They've, they've traded for two international bonus spots and had about a million seven of their money already left over. And so they've got about $3.5 million. Uh, the Yankees are in a similar situation. So you would think the Yankees would be a big player in this. Um, I think that uh, I think uh, Philadelphia and Minnesota have also made some trades for international slot money, and they may be thinking real big. But everything is not as it seems. And it's not going to be simply a matter of who's got the most bonus money to offer. I think that with the way the posting system is set up now, everybody puts their $20 million offer up front, and then he has the ability to kind of negotiate with all, all teams that match that offer. And because of that, then you can go to these teams and say, well, all right, here's the deal, and you basically come up with a handshake agreement that the player signs a minor league contract, because that is what he would have to do. Signs a minor league contract, but you have a handshake agreement that here's what the parameters will look like of the major league deal that we will bring him up for and that's where there's a great deal of latitude in what a team could offer and that's where i think the poker game really gets played out is what will teams offer on a wink and a nod and and that will i think ultimately determine where otani ends up let me ask you this about when uh, when john daniels went and, and john did go over there right uh, what was the purpose of him going? Not not so much to see him in person. He's trying to make some kind of contact there, right? I, I think that um, I think the Rangers are doing everything they can to further their relationships with Japanese baseball um, officials and anybody who would uh, have any kind of uh, influence on Otani. Um, I think you saw on Sunday the Rangers took out a full-page ad in the Hochi Shimbun, which is the national, I'm sorry, the Yomiuri Shimbun, which is the national sports newspaper in Japan, thanking Darvish uh, for his time with the Rangers. And I think that was a significant gesture because it, it, it is, it's a show of respect. And in the Japanese culture, respect and dignity and those kinds of things are highly valued. And I think the Rangers are doing all the things that they can to check off the societal and cultural aspects of, of making them a good fit for Otani. I think that was a dual-edged uh, gesture on their part. One was to sincerely thank you, Darvish, for, six full year, for, for nearly six full years of, of very effective service here. Uh, and secondly, to also let Japanese players 
particularly Otani, since he's the guy at the forefront right now, know that this is an organization that's going to treat you with dignity and respect. So what is the time frame of all of this? When, when does it start? Uh, when does it end? Is there a negotiating period there? Is it, is it, is it a week? Is it, is it a day? What is it? Well, once, you, once he's posted and you go through the posting process, and that's, I think that is the issue with the, uh, that's got the most uncertainty right now because there's no deadline uh, on when they must post them. Uh, Darvish was posted in December, and that's you. Uh, but uh, uh, the outfielder that went to the Cubs a few years ago, Fukudome, was posted in, in November. So sometime after the end of the Japanese baseball season, they will sit down with Otani, and if he decides he wants to go to the States, uh, 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 his team, the, the Nippon Ham Fighters, has indicated that they would allow that to happen. If he says that that's what he wants to do, and I think that that is everybody's assumption, but again, this has been a difficult year for Otani because he's been hurt for most of the year. He's hitting now, but he hasn't he hasn't really pitched, uh, and he's he's still working on his rehab from a lower body injury. I believe it was a quad or a hamstring uh, that that he really hurt badly early in the year. Um, once that process takes place, once they post him, I believe it's a it is a seventy two hour or, or, or one week um, long blind closed bid process, which is really kind of a formality now because every team is going to bid the maximum twenty million dollars, and I would assume that probably twenty five or more teams are going to put their their bids in. Once the bids are released and everybody has matched a $20 million offer, then I believe the process still remains. You've got a 30-day negotiating window. Um, where, where this is different from the Rangers situation is since they won the bidding process because it was an uncapped, unlimited bidding process, they had a 30-day exclusive negotiating window with Darvish before the before the player and the Japanese team either accepted or rejected the posting bid. Now you've got a 30-day window, and all those teams basically have what amounts to a typical free agent negotiating process with them. Would it be fair to say that Darvish was a more polished pitcher coming out of Japan than Otani is? Um, I would think that the reason you would lean that way is just because Darvish had a couple of more seasons worth of experience. I think the general thought is that Otani is his equal as a pitcher um, and certainly a a more dangerous overall athlete because of the hitting tool. Um, and he may be a little bit more raw, but I think there is some thought that his stuff is, is perhaps uh, a, a smidge better than Darvish's. Are you grading or are you handicapping the Rangers as a favorite, a long shot, middle of the pack team? What? In the, in I, the, in I would chance? think I would I would think that in this process the Rangers would have to be regarded as one of the favorites. I don't think that they would be the singular um, odds-on favorite to win this, but I think they would have to be considered based on their relationship with Darvish based on their relationship and how hard they've worked Japan for the last 10 years, and, and based on 
on how much they seem to covet Otani, I think, yeah, they'd have to be considered one of the major players there. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the most significant, one of the most significant developments over the whole Darvish thing is, you know, look, you know, teams talk about the coastal teams all the time, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Mariners as being the big players for the Japanese pitchers or the Japanese players. I think now the Rangers are on the same level as those as those coastal teams, maybe even more highly regarded uh, in that process than Seattle. Is. Uh, yeah, I, th- that's the that's the problem for me in all of this is that I just still look at it like if I'm coming from, from Japan and uh, and I got the opportunity to pitch wherever I want to go in, in the U.S. Um, I'm gonna pick. You know, I don't have any idea if Artie Moreno really would would pursue that or not. He should, obviously, and you would think, why wouldn't he? You have to maximize uh, Mike Trout's potential at some point. Uh, why wouldn't you go to, to to L.A.? I mean, the temperatures are better. It's closer to home. Uh, there's a there's a larger Japanese population. You know, I I just think that that uh, those things would have to give you considerable edge o- over everybody else. Well, I. I think one thing, um, the Japanese population is is significant, but there's there's pluses and minuses to that. You know, uh, in a city with a huge Japanese population, where you are a rock star, you're gonna get you're you're gonna be as uncomfortable as you might be in Tokyo because you're going to be a star in so many in so much of that community, and you might not have the ability to go out. Nobody ever bothered you, Darvish, out in the community when he was here for six years. He was able to to do what he wanted when he wanted without um, a real, uh, without really being bothered, uh, for for lack of a better term. I think the um, the closer to home aspect. I think but, but, that. Go ahead. No, but that was used personality. Uh, you know, he 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 didn't want to be bothered, but maybe. Maybe Otani does. Maybe Otani wants that's, to relish uh, the attention. That's entirely possible. And I mean, you're you're dealing with all of these uh, with different personalities and different free agents. But I, I think the, uh, all I'm saying is I think there's two sides to that aspect of the large Japanese, large Asian community there, and and I think it's I think it's almost a little bit. Uh, um, Stereotyping, just to say that a, a guy wants to be where there's a large Japanese community. Yes, there's some area of comfort, but I think that the the, the as far as food and, and and culture and all that goes, I think that that in the baseball community now everything is so cosmopolitan and so sophisticated that I think these guys are are comfortable in in, in almost any major major city. I saw you know Darvish. Darvish joined the Dodgers in Atlanta, and he was out at a, um, uh, I forget what type of food it is, but it's it's basically Japanese barbecue. He found a Japanese barbecue place in Atlanta, was out having dinner at a Japanese barbecue place his first night in Atlanta. I don't know that the guy's ever been there, because I, the Rangers haven't played the Braves in Atlanta since... Uh, since 2011, I don't believe. Well, so. wouldn't he have called you to ask for some recommendations? You're from Atlanta. Yeah, no, he did not. Um, <laughs> I, you sound I, miffed. And I, I, 
I, I think no, I, I'm not at all. I you know, I'm gonna, I'm just going to say this. I, I love you, Darvish's five years plus here with the Rangers. I, I thought that um, uh, I thought he was a, the kind of guy that I actually wanted to go see and pitch on his night's pitching. And I thought that in the clubhouse, um, after he got more comfortable, he was a real, uh, real joy to be around. He had as good a sense of humor as anybody. I thought that when he wanted to talk baseball, um, just to you know, talk, talk sport, I thought he was as deep a thinker as, as anybody I've, I've been around on the pitching staff. Um, I think he was just misunderstood by a lot of people because. In public, he didn't speak English, and I think that was out of concern and out of respect. He didn't want people to see him as, um, I don't want to say, but, uh, that he didn't want to see people mispronounce words. He didn't want people to see him mispronouncing words. Um, and I think that that was out of respect for the language, and I think some of some of his own vanity, because uh, he wanted to be seen as a guy who, who when, he, when he and I spoke English, he would ask me afterwards, did I do all right? Did I do all right? I'm like, you, your your English is better than 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 yours. Than many Americans speak, yeah. Um, but he he wants it to be perfect, and I think that's also I think that's also one of the things that that gets misunderstood a little bit between the Japanese culture and the American culture of baseball. I think in the Japanese culture, you know, if you go out there at less than a hundred percent, then then you're not doing your team honor. In doing that, and in America, we take this we take this bravado of, well, I got to go out there even if I'm 75 percent and show that I can play through it, and and so I think there's some differences in in in, in the cultural view of, of whether or not you should uh, how you should approach things, and 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 so I think he was a little bit misunderstood here, but I think the large majority of fans that I've run into felt like this was a guy that that they really enjoyed having here, even if, you know, it wasn't a guy that they, they, they really spoke directly to or, or with. Barry, Barry was well, trying Kevin, to say you're, you're giving me, you're giving me the wrap up. Uh, well, we got John Machota waiting for us for, uh, on a cowboy podcast. On the Cowboys podcast. Oh, Cause something might happen in the, as they go into their second of five preseason games, I, I just we scheduled him for ten thirty, and uh, it's ten thirty six now. I think the important thing to go through with John Machota is how Jerry Jones was able to spend ten million dollars on a Hall of Fame. Party. Well, well, let me let me just say this: I know Jerry Jones. Kevin knows Jerry Jones. Evan, you know Jerry Jones. Does anybody believe he really? Took ten million dollars <laughs> right. out of his bank account, and or no, uh, uh, no, because no. There, there are a lot of trade outs in the. In the yeah, in the, he squeezed a lot of people for that money. I, I'm I'm, ge- I'm guessing or uh, sponsors or, or whatever, but I I, I I fail. I'm hesitant to believe that ten million dollars was transferred from the Jones family fortune to anyone. That's why he has I the would, Jones family fortune. I would just like to. The actual bill of cost because I don't know how you get the ten million dollars on that party. I know Justin Timberlake had to cost three million bucks. By the way, by the way, like nine and a half million. But by the way, I I talked to somebody uh, this morning who was at that party. He said the food was very skimpy, (laughs) skimpy food, (laughs) and he left hungry. 
And two, there was you know there was a VIP section, so he invited. It was so crowded. He invited so many people that there was a real party, and then there was the fringe party. Wow! And I think a lot of the people who say they were there were were at the fringe party. Wow! That be, you mean the, the media well, people? Can, yeah, that's exactly I can, what I mean. I can say this: the Pudge Hall of Fame party in Cooperstown. Um, was that a I Chuck E. Cheese? Was no, it was a very nice museum there. Um, and there were 300 people there, and it didn't have Justin Timberlake. It did have Chi-Chi Rodriguez, but not Justin Timberlake. Um, there was a nice, nice four-piece band, and I can say this, that when Adrian Beltre came up with 2,998 hits uh, that night, Saturday night, um, Pudge was with me. At that very moment, looking at my phone, watching the at bat. So, the fringe party and the VIP party all kind of coincide. Are you are you saying because you you were talking to Pudge, there could not possibly have been a fringe party at Cooperstown in Cooperstown? There was no fringe party. In yeah, Cooperstown. that was a party. That is a party. Evan, wherever you are, that's a party. Well, wherever I am, it's definitely on the fringe. That's for sure. So, it's, uh, we I think we should go from party to parting, and I think yeah. we need to part. Oh, I like that was good, very you, good. You like that? Yeah, that, that transition. Good. Evan, always a pleasure chatting with you. Enjoy New York, enjoy Queens, enjoy enjoy your reign as the king of Queens for for another couple of hours, and um, and call back again sometime. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> I'll see you guys next week. All right, bye, Evan. Bye. Evan Grant, he he is the one and only. He's he's in New York and he's staying in Queens, which is what something I would do, and you would make fun of that if it was me. Absolutely, because he's not in the city. You got to be in the city. I mean, you know, I've been I've been there on Cowboys, and, and those guys will stay as as Randy Galloway used to call it uh, across from the stadium at the Taliban Marriott. The Taliban Marriott, <laughs> right across from the stadium. What there does that mean? Why, why did he call it that? I, I don't want to speculate on what Randy's uh, you know purpose sensitivities were are. Sensitivities were. I can tell you right now he has no he has no yeah, sensitivities. Yeah, right. Uh, but that that was unbelievable to me that they would do that. I just you know because you know, you can stay in the city and you can you can take the bus out. It'll take you right to the stadium. You know, it's pretty cool. So, so, so we we're taking a point away from Evan on this on this road trip that he's staying at at the airport. He's staying at an airport hotel. Yeah, we're taking multiple points away. Wow. Yeah. I because I would I got to confess I would stay there too if I was would there. you really? Oh yeah. Well, I think that you're you're bored. You're from the Bronx. You don't care about any of that kind of stuff. I, w- I was up in New York uh, a couple of weekends ago and didn't not go into the city at all. Wow. How's that? Wow. We crossed the city. It took two hours to get across the George Washington Bridge. Two hours. <laughs> and, and and Chris Christie was not involved in it. Was not involved in, in blocking the bridge. Hey, speaking of two Chris Christie. Hours. Do we think he was at that party? He was. Was he? I, I, th- I think I saw. He, he But he was he at the fringe party or the VIP <laughs> no, party? No, he did the VIP party giving hugs. Giving hugs? Yeah. Yeah. So Awkward th- hugs. Th- there, there were a lot of... Uh, let, let, let's let's get into this when we talk with Johnny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny matches. All right, everybody. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans. See ya. Mm-hmm.